real quick, I'd like to do just rapid fire introductions. I'll start uh, on the far left, although I'm sure you've never been described as being on the far left before, Lynette. Um, but real quick, uh, who are you and how do you spend your time? Well, I'm Lynette Zhang. I'm with ITM Trading, and I spend my time in lots of research about the gold markets, about the currency markets. I've been studying currencies since 1987. So that's how I spend my time. Thank you, Lynette. David. David Garofalo, Chairman and CEO of Gold Royalty Corp. And I've spent over 30 years in the mining business um, in equal parts in base and precious metals. Thank you, David. Uh, Andy Shackman, uh, owner of Miles Franklin. I've uh, been in business for uh, be 34 years uh, next month. And uh, great to be here, Jay. Really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Alistair. Alistair Still, I'm the CEO of Gold Mining Inc. I'm also a director of technical services of Gold Royalty Corp and chair of a new venture, U.S. Gold Mining Inc., which we're preparing to launch uh, in the near future. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, let's start with some macro on, uh, we just actually wrapped up a panel where we covered uh, gold price expectations, we covered central bank gold buying, uh, we spoke a little bit about all the volatility and inflation numbers and how in U.S. dollars gold hasn't performed to a lot of investors' expectations. In other currencies, you could say it's outperformed. Um, what's catching your eye, Lynette, on the macro right now in the gold industry? Well, I have to say that this is, we're really transitioning into a completely new financial, economic, and social system. And so uh, that's really, I'm paying attention because people make the assumption that the central banks want this to go on as long as possible. But you know, when you're at the end and you're gonna declare bankruptcy, what do you do? So that's what I'm seeing a lot from corporations as well as governments, that they are just, they're ready to declare bankruptcy. Interesting. Now, Andy, you have a good eye on inflows and outflows as a dealer. Uh, talk to me about what you're seeing in the macro fronts and purchasing and selling activity. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing that's catching my eyes, aside from the strong um, retail demand that we've seen over the last couple of years, it's, it's much bigger than that. It's the drawdown from the LBMA and from the COMEX, uh, the massive drawdown in physical supply and watching it leave the warehouse and being shipped eastward. I think you're seeing more gold accumulated by the central banks than at any time in the last 55 years, but even more relevant than that is the drawdown from the available stockpiles on, on COMEX and the LBMA. You have to be incredibly sophisticated and have lots of resources to be able to do that. And I think that, to me, the front running by the sophisticated money, um, using the suppressed price as a, as a cover, um, a tool of misdirection, to me, is the biggest thing. If value was, was indicative of price, then my question would be, who's draining the supply? Why are we seeing um, record amounts of deliveries off the exchange, something that really we've never seen before? I think that's the main thing that I'm focusing on. I'd like to speculate on that question for a minute. So open question to the panel. Um, you know, we, we talked about central bank gold buying, you just mentioned it, and uh, record setting uh, physical delivery, I suppose, right? What do you think is behind this? David, I'd love to go to you with this. What's incentivizing this right now? Well, I think it's low real interest rates. Actually, I, I think they're predominantly negative. Um, if you look at it, it's simple arithmetic. Nominal rates are still well below headline inflation numbers. 
and inflation is insidious. It's eating away at savings. Uh, the purchasing power of fiat currencies is being continually debased. Gold is not. Gold has held its value. And while gold hasn't moved significantly in U.S. dollar terms, it's at all-time highs in virtually every other currency. So it has created value, retained value in a market that's seen a, a continual erosion of people's capital. Alistair, anything you would add to that? Well, I would also uh, you know, point to the fact that of the scarcity of gold. Uh, we've seen a you know, gradual decline in reserves and resources of major operating companies and the developers. So there's a scarcity of projects. So that demand, I think, will keep pushing towards a higher gold price. And are we... Lynette, please. Well, and I was going to say something really interesting has happened just recently, and that is on the physical front where you have like the one percenters actually buying this. So even though the spot price in terms of dollars has been relatively flat, not so in the collectible market. We've had breakout on the highest level a while ago, and the breakout is pretty substantial. And recently, we even had breakout on the lower level. I'm curious what's driving that. And also, I'd love to get your thoughts, Lynette, um, on why the gold story is understood so differently in the West as it is in the East. And what I'm saying is that you know, anybody I speak to that's my generation or honestly the generation above and every generation below, uh, who's made money or not, they don't understand why they would want to take possession of physical gold. They don't understand why that might have some utility. And I get it because of how the story is told here. Whereas in a lot of Eastern countries, right, gold jewelry, silver jewelry is, per, is a store of wealth. It's, uh, it's not just a frivolous purchase and it's understood as utility in that asset. Why is the story told differently in the West? Well, I really believe it's because, well, frankly, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And this is the only financial asset that runs no counterparty risk. And that's according to the Bank for International Settlements. So do they want you really out of the system? No, they want you to really still have value in fiat currencies, frankly, anywhere in the world. But in the East, they're more used to that corruption and that loss of purchasing power, so they hold it physically on their body. In the West, you know, we've, we've been trained out of it, and yet it's in our vernacular. Good as gold is a pretty normal state saying. And look at what color the cryptocurrencies are. They're gold, they're silver. So subconsciously, we get that, but that's really what it is. They don't want you out of the system. Now, uh, David, I want to come back to you for a minute. Uh, you know, you've been in the business a long time, president and CEO of Gold Corp, up to the merger with Newmont, creating the world's biggest gold mining company. Your intro was very underspoken. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, are you seeing a rotation right now in investor sentiment, right? And I'm talking about away from speculative growth and trending towards value holding and value creating assets. Um, I, I'm not seeing a rotation in the mining equities yet. And I think that's because uh, miners have, have effectively undermined themselves over the last 10 years or so. They haven't explored for any new gold. Reserves are down 40% from their peak in 2012. The average reserve life of deposits globally is six years versus 10 years, 10 years ago. So we've effectively shrunk ourselves as an industry and we've had to turn to M&A to replace depleting resources, replace production. Uh, that being said, that's a zero-sum game. In fact, it's a negative-sum game if you think about it because the industry is, industry is not replacing what it's depleting. 
And so obviously we're not seeing a rotation of generalists into the space because we haven't reinvested back in ourselves and made a compelling value proposition for investors. We have to invest in ourselves as an industry again. Uh, start to put assets to work, start to put drill bits in the ground. Otherwise, we won't attract that generalist investors, investor regardless of what the commodity does. Now, when you see legendary fund managers like Ray Dalio and Stanley Druckenmiller suddenly recommending an allocation to gold, and we're seeing this quite consistently. I mean, I have about three money managers on my podcast every week. I ask them a variety of questions, but I also ask everybody the same question, which is where are you allocating capital right now? Where are you increasing exposure right now? And yes, if I interview 100 people, I'll hear 100 different ideas, but often I start to identify where there is consensus. And I would say over the last six months, consensus has been increasingly um, sector agnostic, I'm not talking about gold bug investors, but increasing their exposure to gold. And that could be 0% to 1%, right? That may be all it is, and some are a lot more aggressive than that. But I see that as an indicator that maybe the equities are next, right? Because we have to go through the cycles and certain movers go come first, right? Would you agree or disagree with that? Thoughts open to the panel. Uh, if, if I might, uh, I think you're going to see a bit of a barbell strategy from investors that are coming back into the gold sector and looking for leverage of the gold price. Uh, obviously, you can buy the physical, and they should, but if they're looking for leverage, they're going to buy the developers and the explorers, and they're going to buy the royalty companies. That's why I've rotated into the royalty business at this stage of my career, because I see a shrinking resource base, and I see cost inflation that's overhanging the producers, and that's going to compress margins. So where you're going to get the best bang of the buck is uh, from, the, uh, from the companies that are actually investing in the ground, the explorers, who've only had selective access to the market over the last dozen years or so since post the credit crisis. We saw a significant influx of investment into the explorers coming out of the great financial crisis, and then it's been a nuclear wasteland since then. We need out of an existential imperative for investors to invest back into the ground. That's where you're going to get value creation, not by buying uh, operators that have shrinking margins and depleting resource bases. And royalty companies provide you leverage of the gold price and leverage of the expiration of those underlying juniors and explorers while protecting you from inflation. That's where I think you're going to get the best leverage to the gold price. Well, I would also say that Ray Dalio in particular is looking for a revolution in the world. And so I think that part of his allocation toward gold, you know, again, is about protecting that wealth because it's part of, gold is definitely a key part in the dynastic wealth, which is wealth that lasts in families at least 300 years. And you can do it, it's got three legs, which is real estate, rare collectibles, and monetary gold. And you can actually do all those three pieces, that's what we're talking about, with gold. Andy, is looking at a lot of the uh, trade activity between China, Russia, um, Ghana just took delivery of oil in exchange for locally produced gold. Are you expecting an increased monetary utility behind gold in the future, or do you think this will be isolated to a few small transactions and not become a significant part of the marketplace? No, I, I think that uh, gold will be the foundation of whatever comes next. Uh, and when you look at the amount of central bank acquisition, when you look at the repatriation of gold from the Bank of England and from the New York Fed, when you look at the rise of a, a third group of reportables on the COMEX called the Others, which are supposedly sovereign wealth funds and family offices, again, physical possession, taking possession of it, when you realize that 
India imported uh, uh, 304 million ounces of, of silver this year and a uh, record amount of gold delivered from the Swiss refineries to China. When you see Turkey, who has uh, applied for membership in the BRICS, being the largest importer of gold this year, followed by India and I believe Kazakhstan, um, part of the Shanghai Corporation Organization, if you look closely, you can see that this group of uh, this, this growing group of countries are, are forming an alliance and a lot of people will say, you know, well, the BRICS and these other countries uh, and they make a reference to the Euro, well, the European Union was a basket case, they, did, they weren't able to, to, to make it work because of the divergence in, in um, history and in ideology and, and I would agree to that, but the difference appears to be that they are using gold as the glue there's a rallying cry against, against the West, and this is what's bringing everyone to the table against the sanctions and, and the hegemony. But it's, I believe, gold will be the glue that makes it all stick, that'll make it work. And this is why you're seeing not only record amounts flow eastward, but massive accumulations by all of these central banks, most of them have inclinations, I believe, of joining the BRICS nations. And um, so yes, I think gold will absolutely be the, um, the, the glue and the foundation of whatever system rises from, from the ashes of this system. And so it's foreseeable, therefore, that we could be moving towards a multipolar world when it comes to currencies, instead of the bipolar USD era that we've, we've lived in for, for my entire life. In my opinion, that is unequivocally 100% the road that we appear to be traveling, absolutely. And that doesn't necessarily mean the end of the U.S. dollar era. It just means a bit less market share. Is that correct? Would you agree with that, or what do you think? Well, my personal opinion is that we're probably going to end up as the world reserve currency with the SDR, the IMF's currency, which is a basket of currencies, and there are no limitations. They could put every currency in that basket. But when you also talk about gold, when all confidence in anybody's currency, when the confidence is gone, they bring in the gold to support it and regain that confidence. So Andy, you made a really good point in that that's gonna be the foundation, it's gonna have to be, because we're already seeing a massive loss of confidence in the system, that's what the rapid inflation does. Then the public says, hey, what's happening to our currency? Why are we losing so much value? And they start to lose that confidence and trust. Okay, now David, you talked about the uh, diminishing supply and some of the biggest producers in the world, Barrick just missed guidance and I believe their output has now hit a 22 year low. Um, where should investors, where is, the, where is gold gonna come from? Where should investors look right now if they feel comfortable with their exposure to physical, if they even want any, but they're looking for torque in the market, right? Where should they look? Where would you point them? Yeah, I, I think there is gonna be a rotation of capital into the juniors, the developers. Uh, again, out of necessity, the industry needs the developers and explorers uh, to do well. They need them to uh, make discoveries because Certainly the producers don't do that. The producers don't embrace risk like the juniors do. They actually mitigate risk. They focus on mitigating capital cost inflation, mitigating 
you know, production risk. It's all about avoiding risk, whereas the juniors embrace risk and they do so necessarily because the industry needs them to find new deposits to replace a depleting resource base. So I'd say that's where that's where the action is going to be as the gold price catches a bid. And I would say, again, the royalty companies, if you're looking for cash flow, the royalty companies provide that leverage of the gold price and the leverage of the under, underlying expiration opportunity while uh, insulating you from, from inflation risk. And would you say jurisdictional risk is more important? And how, how do investors price that in today? Yeah, jurisdiction risk is becoming increasingly important and uh, jurisdiction risk translates itself in several ways. I mean, outright expropriation doesn't necessarily happen anymore, but there's creeping expropriations through changes in tax regime. And so being in established jurisdictions where you have a stable tax regime, stable judiciary is going to be increasingly important. And you're going to have to demand as an investor at increasing risk premium to participate in regions that don't have that kind of stability. So where are you focused right now? Uh, in the Americas, 100% in the Americas. In, uh, in fact, 75% of our underlying portfolio is in the three most stable jurisdictions in North America, Nevada, Quebec, and Ontario. And I think deliberately so, given the risk that we're seeing manifest itself across the world where there, there is significant mineral richness. Now, on the inflation narrative, Alistair, talk to me about the you know, how the royalty model for anybody who's not familiar is insulated against the rising costs of a lot of those inputs, which is very significant in the market right now. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen a, a gradual increase in costs. It's uh, rising with inflation, as you might expect. The beauty of a royalty company, it's insulated against those costs. It takes, you know, top line revenue. So as the, the costs at site increased, the revenue stays pegged to the price of metal that the site is producing. So it's less exposure. The only real exposure is if a site actually topples over and becomes uneconomic and stops running. And that's the worst case scenario, but that rarely happens. And I think to echo Dave's point, that's why a lot of companies, ours in particular, gold mining, is the flight towards stable jurisdictions where there's less risk uh, from a geopolitical environment. Um, so countries in the Americas certainly are focus. I would also point out there's a general flight towards quality. There's a lot of assets that, that seem to be marginal and they float, you know, they look good with a slightly higher gold price, but as gold price rises, so do their costs and they tend to always be marginal assets. So I think there's going to be a flight to more stable jurisdictions such as in the Americas and to assets with higher quality as well. And any, any forecasts on the input costs moving forward? Because there's a lot of debate about whether or not we've hit peak inflation, things will cool off. There was some juggling of how the CPI numbers were actually calculated a few weeks ago, uh, which will change the end result. If you don't look at numbers, change the math. But what is your expectation uh, in terms of input cost increases, Alistair? Well, certainly if you look at it from an operator's point of view, I think we haven't peaked at the costs yet and there tends to be a lag with inflation because as the price of gold has risen, new projects have come online. So there's not just the regular CPI inflation, but there's also a supply and demand of the skilled workers that many of the operating sites and development sites are needed. So you have the demand equation factored in with the cost of inflation. However, one thing that you can counter some of that with is that you mentioned the price of gold and how it's rising. We also have to keep in mind that in many world currencies, it's at all-time highs in local currencies. So some of those costs, when they're expressed in local currencies, are counteracting some of the inflationary pressures as well. Interesting. Okay. Now, now given that the market's heating up a little bit right now, um, is it time to reap or is it time to sow? 
right? Metals prices are coming up, they're, they're rising. It looks like it might be in for a rally. Typically, that means more capital reaches the space and there's more potential for M&A. It might not be the best time for M&A. You want to buy things when they're low, but anybody have a forecast on M&A in, specifically in the equity sector right now? Um, well, I, I think in the precious metal space, or for that matter, the base metal space as well, uh, there has to be M&A. If you're not finding it, you're going to have to buy it. And that's certainly been the case with the larger producers. They have not been investing in exploration. They certainly haven't sponsored the exploration that the juniors are doing at the ground level. And the juniors have only had very selective access to capital. So we haven't seen the kind of wholesale increases in exploration budgets the industry needs to replace depleting reserves. So they are going to buy each other. They're going to cannibalize each other. But again, as I said, that's a zero-sum game at best. The industry is going to continue to shrink. And the lead time from discovery to first production is 20 years. So this is not a trajectory that's going to reverse itself anytime soon. Now, Alistair, um, I want you to walk me through the mission behind gold mining and what, what you're building. Well, it was, it was a simple model, and it's, uh, you know, our chairman founder, Amir Adnani, had a simple strategy of you know, buy at opportune moments, and he made tremendous investments over a 10-year period, buying projects throughout the Americas, stable jurisdictions, to accumulate a portfolio of what is now over 30 million gold equivalent ounces. But to your previous question, I think it now is a time to start harvesting from that resource. Metal prices are high, there's joint venture opportunities, we've been advancing our own projects, we've been drilling, we made a discovery in Colombia, which we announced last week. So I think the acquisition model, if you have resources in the ground right now, we have an extreme leverage to the price of gold. Now is the time to harvest that. We're capturing value and delivering it for our shareholders, such as our latest uh, venture, which will be to take our project in Alaska, our Whistler Gold and Copper project, it's almost 10 million gold equivalent ounces. Now is the right time to launch that with an IPO, get money in the ground and start moving forward those, uh, those projects. Now, one thing that your team always does with absolute consistency is stay incredibly busy during the hardest years. And uh, a quote I've heard come out of your camp a couple times is, buy your Christmas decorations in January. But that's how you run the company, and I really appreciate that. Um, David, I want to go over to you. Talk to me about the mission behind Gold Royalty Corp. What got you back into the business? Because I just want to emphasize, you're the president and CEO of what is now the world's largest gold producer. You didn't have to come back, right? But you did. So why? Why now and what are you building? Well, I have a strong fundamental belief that, uh, belief that we're in for a prolonged gold run, uh, a bull run for the gold price. I think we're going to be achieving all-time highs, not only on a nominal basis, I think we're going to achieve real all-time highs, which would be north of $3,000 an ounce. Take where gold was back in the early 1980s and inflation adjusts that to $2022. We're nowhere close to the real cyclical high for gold. And the ingredients are in place now for an extended bull run. The question I ask myself is where am I going to be best positioned to enjoy that bull run? And it's not going to be in the producers that are shrinking in size and experiencing inflating costs. And, and pressure on their margins. It's in the royalty space. And what it, we've been endeavoring to do is consolidate what's a highly fragmented space to create critical mass and fill the missing middle in the royalty sector. There are category killers that are getting richly deserved premium multiples. And then there's small cap. There's nothing in the middle. If we can capture that mid-tier and create relevance, scale, uh, institutional interests and be big enough to matter and be relevant, but small enough to grow, which the seniors are challenged to do, mm. we will get the best multiple in the sector. I love that. Now, I have to ask, because this is the gold forecast panel, can I pull a price forecast out of anybody? Well, 
Look, what I'm going to say is that historically, when all confidence is lost in the currency, they do those overnight revaluations. So even though gold may be high in different currencies or the highest that it's been, it's all relative because those currencies are losing a lot of value rapidly. So if, if you know, I don't think that this piece is going to happen today, but we are this, this year, but 2023 is the most interesting year because of what we have going on in the interest rate sector. And that transition away from LIBOR into the new benchmark, which has never, ever, ever been done before. And how much do you hear about it? Why aren't they talking about it? When they did it with 80 trillion back in what? October of 2019, it was a big fat fail making that transition. So I personally think that we'll definitely see gold somewhere over in nominal terms, but I don't really care about the price if you wanna know the truth. I care about, you know, it doesn't matter how many fiat dollars you have, it matters what you can convert them into. So, I mean, I'll say over 3,000, but it could, be, it could be higher than that. It could be, but that's in terms of dollars. Okay, appreciate it. Andy, how about yourself? You know, when I started in this industry in 1990, the Dow Jones was 2,100, and the Japanese Nikkei was nearly 40,000, and Japan owned Rockefeller Center and Pebble Beach and casinos in Vegas and ski resorts in Colorado, and the one thing that I have learned unequivocally in a world of non-absolutes, that being finance, is that bull markets run higher than anyone ever thinks possible, as the Dow Jones went from 2100, and by the way, the first conference I went to in 1990, the guy said it's gonna to go to 10,000, that being the Dow Jones, and he was laughed off the stage. I'll never forget it. And I watched that Dow Jones go up 17-fold. At the same time, the Nikkei lost 80% of its value. They made better engines and better motherboards and, 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 and owned all the real estate. Everyone thought they were taking over the world and here we are 30 years later and, and they're not even two thirds or three quarters of the way back to where they once were. Bear markets fall further, bull markets run further. But the one thing that I think is somewhat telling is that if you go back through time, you see that the most sophisticated money is always in front of the trend. They front run. And you have to ask yourself, why are the central banks buying more gold than at any time in the last 55 years? Who are these others that are draining these, these sophisticated family offices and sovereign wealth funds that are draining the COMEX and the LBMA? Where is all of this metal going and why is the most sophisticated money in the world accumulating ahead of the trend where price is not indicative of their massive acquisition? Doesn't that have to, to me, it, to me, what it really says is that they are privy to what's coming and they're, they're positioning themselves ahead of the masses. So I'll say it this way, higher than anyone thinks possible. I don't know what that number will be, but I think we'll look back at it and say, geez, you know, 18, 1900 was, was a hell of a price. Can I ask you a question, just given where you sit in this industry, if you were to speculate, uh, taking into consideration all the paper contracts and the various ways you can sort of own gold. How many beneficiary owners of each ounce of gold do you think exist in the world? Uh, geez, that's a tough one. I don't know. I think the rehypothecation is extreme. Uh, if you, uh, 
I don't know, three, four hundred times rehypothecated? Three, four hundred owners of each ounce, and you're, it looks like you're saying higher. I'm shaking my head no, because before the Bank for International Settlements changed its formula, I was in their database, and at that time, it was 62,000 ounces for each one physical ounce of gold. 62,000. That's bananas. Okay. Uh, so do you want to own the you ounce? Don't, it, hence, if you don't own it or hold it, you don't own it. Yeah. Good, good emphasis on that. All right. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining me up on stage today. All of my panelists will be on other stages later today or tomorrow. And you can catch uh, David Garofalo and the Gold Royalty Court booth out in the trade show, as well as Alistair Still and Gold Mining Inc.'s booth out of the trade show. That's it for the speaker hall right now. We're going to break for the trade show. We'll be back in workshops in about 30 minutes. Thank you so much for coming out. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.